Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the head evangelist at Databricks. He's also served as global AI evangelist and director of AI evangelism and strategy at Data Robot. Fun fact, he's done analytics work for the Baltimore Orioles, San Diego Padres, Montreal Expos, and Chicago Cubs. Ari Kaplan, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Hey, Ethan, so nice to be here and welcome to the audience listening. Yeah, welcome to everyone. I'm really glad we're here. I'm looking forward to this. I enjoyed our initial conversation. There's so much going on in data analytics and specifically AI. We'll probably get into uh, some depths that I'm not quite comfortable with, and I'm excited about that with regard to the technology and the market and what's going on. Um, but we'll start, Ari, where we always do, which is around this concept of evangelism. For you, when you reflect on your roles, including your current one, what do you think is the most important job of an evangelist? Yeah, uh, great question, and probably why people are initially tuning in. And yeah, I would say there are different roles and priorities for different sizes of companies. You know, the traditional evangelism, uh, people think of as thought leadership. So that's the uh, building the brand um, you know, to bigger markets, uh, to associate your company, my case, Databricks, with uh, innovation, with leadership, with some unique value. So things like uh, speaking at conferences or doing blogs or social media. Um, but then there's other uh, areas, depending on the, the company size and, and uh, how the team is structured. But you know, the other is, how do you get this word out about your company to an audience that may not have ever heard of you? So one way is through influencers. Another way could be through industry analysts like Gartner and Forrester and IDC and others, um, as well as getting your partners. If you have a big partnership um, approach, how can you get them to talk about, uh, you know, either jointly or just solely talk about what, you know, what your company is doing? So every time a Microsoft, a Google, Amazon, Meta talks about us, it goes out to an audience who may not have heard of us at all. And then the uh, probably the fourth bucket. Um, is really customer engagement. So how do you get specific, like very key accounts and engage them at more of a relationship building uh, level, a non-sales approach, just so you could be that thought leader, the art of the possible. Um, so really those four, thought leadership, analyst partners, and customer engagement. Really good. And I especially appreciate where you kind of wound down there around the art of the possible. I think that's really a key, especially in, in innovative spaces, which I think there's a positive correlation and association between appointing evangelists and, uh, and innovation and innovative spaces, because there is a lack of understanding, a lack of clarity, certainly the brand awareness piece that you spoke about as well. For you personally, like just in the various roles you've had at, at, in evangelism, any of those buckets 
or anything associated with those buckets that light you up most? Like when you feel most alive and most like you're fulfilling your responsibility as an evangelist, like what does that look like for you? Like what are some of the things you're doing? Like, for example, do you prefer going to conferences and networking and speaking or do you prefer the more internally oriented work? Like what, what brings you alive in this um, area? I love meeting with people. I love hearing stories, uh, interfacing with people. I love free flow thoughts. So sometimes uh, you have like an executive briefing meeting, which is uh, you know very specific to business, um, or it could be very creative. Sometimes it could be going to dinner or going to a sporting event and you just like free flow ideas. And sometimes that's the best uh, way things come about. And you know, it's a, a different mindset. I was just watching the uh, Beatles documentary uh, two nights ago and to just see like Paul McCartney, um, they were under a deadline to make a song. And if you're under pressure, you know, you you may or may not be successful, but he just started strumming and like these incredible songs, Let It Be just like comes out. And if you don't have that free flow um, and, and that free flow I see is when I actually talk with people um, I do love getting up on stage and doing keynotes since I, I in person so I could see their reaction and hang out after the presentation and, you know, just talk. And it's all about, uh, you know, people want to tell their story. They want to, you know, Im impress upon you what they're doing and sometimes super incredible stories. Uh, just last week, I was at Hims with uh, Databricks and one of our customers explained how he was uh, querying data with a trillion, with the letter T, a trillion records, and it would take just a couple of minutes to come up with insights. And having come from Oracle back in the day when I started my career, to have that data, incredible. It, um, and even post-Oracle with Hadoop, you know, that would be like a multi-million dollar environment to serve up. And now uh, I think you said $109 was all it cost. So scalability is incredible. And I would not have gotten that just being in my room, um, like watching YouTube videos that kind of pulled out extraneously. And I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think of uh, what you're talking about. I don't think of it this transactionally, but I think about a lot of these experiences you're talking about. Um, in the zone of like raw material, you know, like you hear something and sometimes it's immediately obvious, like, oh, I know I need to share this with these two other people. They're going to love this insight. In other cases, it's immediate use isn't obvious, but as you're kind of, again, I, I think of it as like collecting threads and things, and then eventually you're going to make a new cloth of these various pieces. Um, I think of a, a lot of that as, um, kind of raw material for something not yet communicated, but I know that it's an important part of the story and, or it makes me think about something I've been dwelling on for a while differently. Right. So like you've been, you've been thinking about this thing. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Am I going to make a video about this? Am I going to write this up? Like, where does this go? Is this a presentation or a kernel of a presentation? And you're just waiting for that extra piece or something. And so some of that raw material tips it and all of a sudden becomes obvious. I agree with you that in that in-person open conversation. I think that's probably why I'm doing this podcast uh, is that I, I just so enjoy um, reacting and interacting 
um, to people's stories. And with that, I'll just kind of, I'd love to go back a little bit. I mean, you have a deep, deep background in data and analytics. It's made its way into AI. I think there's a natural thread there, but I don't know what it is as someone kind of ignorant and really on the consumer side of these things in a very mainstream way. Talk about your background. Like, how did you wind up in this zone? What lights you up about it? And then maybe from there, we'll kind of talk through your career progression into evangelism at Data Robot and then Databricks. But start with like, what lights you up about all this stuff? How'd you wind up here? Yeah, I I, I love innovation. I love trying to improve uh, the world, uh, you know, heal the world in whatever way I can. Um, and, and, you know, AI, machine learning, data science is something that I've been doing, you know, it sounds trite, but since I was a little kid, when I was seven years old, started writing uh, and, and selling video games, and then started doing, which it's nowhere near large language models, it was like on a TRS-80 basic, but, you know, programs that would write poems to try to see how realistic uh, could it be, um, you know, and, and we, we could talk about career progression, but you know, along the way, became president of the Worldwide Oracle User Group with 22,000 members and uh, helping, you know, on stage with Larry Allison and others, you know, big data at the time for database, relational database. And then the, the world kind of shifted, uh, you know, data warehousing, cloud, um, you know, uh, an analytics on structured data. And then, you know, more recently, uh, insights and more predictive analytics on semi-structured and unstructured data. And then continuing along the way, you know, you have social media, you have incredibly fantastically large data sets that um, like uh, over 85% of the data and, and almost all of it is completely unused. Um, so we can delve a little bit into that, but, you know, kind of going backwards, Databricks, I am uh, excited since the first role of somebody full-time doing evangelism, so helping get to shape what that looks like. Um, but uh, people aren't familiar with Databricks. Uh, you know, look it up. Uh, that that and alone is super exciting regardless of what role um, I end up. But, you know, it feels like we are, like we created this whole new industry called the Lake House, which it takes the best of data warehousing and the best of data lakes, unstructured and structured under one umbrella. Um, that's you know, arguably, depending on what you're doing, five, 10 times as fast and five to 10 times as less expensive. Um, and, and like all the goods uh, assembled with it. It's taking off. It's also based on open source. So um, if you want to geek out, um, our founders created some of the most wildly successful open source. If you've heard of Spark, ML Flow, which gets 10 million, uh, now more than 10 million downloads every single month. Um, so prior companies I've been in, uh, you know, they have like a thousand customers. So you're talking tens of millions of downloads across the open source from our founders. Every month, it's the scale of that is incredible. So it's innovative. You know, the world's changing super quickly. I love personally being at the inflection point where like once everyone's doing something, um, it's a little bit boring I, for me. I like to be towards something rapidly growing that adds value. And already there's a product where 
when you get people excited, they can actually do something. So that that's kind of where uh, you know Databricks is more towards the mature side since they've had a lot of solutions. But you know, it's uh, you know we could talk about large language models, but we're right at the epicenter, which is something where we weren't a few months ago. Super interesting. First of all, I love that language of Lake House, the idea of, of the intersection of um, data warehouse and, and data lakes and structured and unstructured, super smart. Like just from a branding perspective, the Lake House, like first of all, everyone kind of wants a Lake House, you know? In yeah. addition, it's just such a beautiful pairing of those two much more commonly used phrases. And so uh, the I think I want at some point to get into this idea of community and community groups and, and user groups. I think that's an interesting piece. It reminds me of the conversation on this show with Guy Kawasaki about the earliest Mac groups were not, which were not 22,000 members, but this idea of, you know, you see community led everywhere now. Um, and we've even had a conversation about it specifically as a kind of a go-to-market motion on this show. Um, but it's not new. It's just the way that we're executing it that's new. So we'll maybe get into that. I think I already feel your passion and excitement for it. And you already articulated this idea at being at the edge of things. You know, it's an organization of, uh, you know, 5,000 plus people. This is the first evangelist role. To your knowledge, what was going on for them and what was going on in the market where they said, you know what, let's put someone uh, in an evangelist position. Um, like, what was the origin story there? Yeah, it, it was a you know good confluence. And I see a lot of companies start, you know, everyone's different, but start hiring you know, head of evangelism, you know, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people. Um, you know, we, you know, one thing is we have super strong leadership. If you go to Glassdoor, you know, our leaders, um, you know, are legends and will be even more legendary. Something like a 98% approval rating, um, uh, you know, from the Glassdoor perspective, um, you know, leaders, but the company has been growing really quickly. Uh, you know, I hear just a few years ago, it was like 2000 people. So you need to really scale up uh, like the messaging. Also, you know, another thing is, uh, you know, sometimes the 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 marketing and go to market is very technical based, um, and and in, in Databricks, it's a, a great strength since once you get your hands on it and you see, you know, we are one tenth the cost. Again, not all cases, but you know, we're much less. You know, just say one tenth the cost, and you are the technical person, and you see that. Yeah, that that's a strong, powerful thing to say, but um, you know, to to the earlier part of artificial intelligence, of how people don't quite understand it, you know, there also needs to be a way to speak more to the executive, non-technical people. So you know, Databricks wants to do both: speak to the technical, speak to the you know what what's the art of the possible, what are the use cases, you know. Why do I care if something's 10 times as fast or one-tenth the cost um, if I don't quite know what it is? So like, how can you, you know, just explain in simple terms, Richard Feynman, one of my idols, um, at, you know, Nobel laureate in physics, was very good at just explaining things, um, you know, in, in simple ways that people resonate, storytell. Um, so the, I think that was the genesis of, we have technical, you know, let's broaden it. We're, we're two and a half times the size we were, and we have to smartly grow and build our brand. 
Super, so you're about a half a year into this uh, initiative, as are they. You were in this together with Databricks, obviously. Um, what were some of the original like goals or targets or work zones? Like when it's like, okay, Ari, let's we're we're doing this. Th this is what we would like you to do. And, and was it like go figure out what you should be doing, or was it we have a few ideas, or was it let's talk about it and we'll come to some agreements? Like kind of what are you doing day to day, week to week, month to month? And how did that develop? Is that self-generated with some of it uh, or, or was it co-created with whomever thought that this was uh, the thing that you all needed to do? Yeah, it was, it was largely co-created. Um, you know, my prior company at Data Robot, um, you know, showed that there was a lot of success with that evangelist role, especially around data and AI. Um, you know, and we had different execution. So, you know, I could take a lot of, of what learned both succeeding and not succeeding um, and, and, you know, hopefully apply that to a much larger scale. So, yeah, coming on board, it was kind of the idea of those four, you know, main buckets uh, coming in. And, you know, for sure, you know, uh, the, the, the core is that thought leadership, webinars, podcasts, speaking at events, writing blogs, trying to get us on social, um, that, you know, that's kind of like foundational. And then the rest, you know, you kind of come and see it. It all depends, like how willing are the partners, you know, some partners. I've had in prior companies where it's a ton of work and nothing gets done after a year and others, uh, you know, an incredible amount gets done. Um, you know, I've had successes where I've, you know, gotten partner to retweet something and uh, before you know it, Mark Benioff and Salesforce retweets it, and you have 10 million views on this blog, which is kind of organic. So, you know, there's like the foundational bedrock, and then there is like growth, potential growth on top of it. And I think, you know, everyone who is a head of evangelism or aspiring that's listening is, you know, you have to be agile. Um, you know, so Databricks, last, uh, this week, we had our largest uh, attended webinar in our company history, since we are front and center of this large language model, uh, phenomenal interest. Um, two months ago, that wasn't like much on our radar. So, you know, everyone has to be agile. You know, the markets change really quickly. Hopefully you're at a company where you have innovative products um, that, that you could, uh, you know, pivot a little bit. You always want to have something that you're successful and repeatable, but pivot uh, part of the way along it. So yeah, a year from now, I'm sure I'll be focusing on, on different things. So for me, it's like to have repeatable process where I'm elevating, whether it's a salesperson or marketing, like once I figure out like, how do you say something that resonates pretty well? You know, how do you define a lake house, what the value is? I want a thousand of our sales reps to kind of repeat that mantra. How um, how do you spend your time internally versus externally? I mean, you've already uh, mentioned that you're traveling, um, but you've also just said something that is super critical. I mean, whether it's a thousand salespeople or whether it's 10 salespeople, the idea of taking what you're already testing in an active and engaged manner um, and, and teaching it back internally, how much time do you spend focused internally on the team that's there either for learning yourself or for teaching? Yeah, it, uh, a great question. It, it depends month to month. So 
I, you know, spent a bit of time, probably the first couple months getting up to speed. You know, we have a, you know, pretty robust product uh, line. Uh, it's one platform, but, you know, there's six different offerings and now, you know, uh, Dolly. So wanted to come up to speed first and then speak, um, you know, not in the public eye, but with customers and partners and really drill down, like, here's our marketing spiel, what's real, what's not. Um, so I, I kind of took that approach to get my opinion and get my heart into it and speak with customers, go on site to a couple people and have them walk through things for like an entire day. Um, um, but now that that's through, yeah, I spend a lot of my time now, you know, like I'm going to uh, Stockholm to be one of the keynotes at this data innovation summit, which is super exciting. Um, but you know what, you know, so I'm finalizing, what do I want my personal, you know, Ted talk like thing to sound like, um, and a non-sales inspirational, uh, perspective, uh, you know, starting to write and produce some blogs, uh, potentially starting a, a, it looks like we'll be starting a podcast. So those are kind of like the planning and execution phases. So I'm, I'm, I'm now shifting from learning to executing, uh, love being on this uh, podcast as well. That That's part of the execution. So yeah, it really depends um, uh, on that. We, you know, Databricks has a really good internal, like, Almost no meeting is a wasted meeting. Um, uh, you know, there, there's incredible transparency from the top down. And, uh, you know, right now we're all together figuring out, we have something called Dolly, D-O-L-L-Y, which is large language model. It's taking a tremendous, in a good way, amount of attention. Um, but, you know, we also have a billion dollar plus business on our traditional lake house. So how do we... Uh, 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 embrace this new attention while also, you know, growing that billion dollar business. I love it. What a joy to be at the intersection of these things and trying to figure out the best way to communicate it, have access to relationships you've already built or new relationships that you're building to kind of test some of this stuff out, to bring it back internally. I really see that as a consistent theme throughout all these conversations is, and it looks a little bit different in each one of them, but it's, it really is around this, like, it's not marketing. It's not sales. It supports marketing. It supports sales. It's it's customer driven. It's also true to the internal, you know, values perspective. Like I can I can already tell the respect and reverence with which you're speaking of the leadership of the organization that you appreciate the values that they're operating by. And I can't imagine that that doesn't come through as you're connecting and communicating with other people explicitly and implicitly. Um, how for, for you is again, I, I know generally it's it's in a co-created zone, but um, are you setting your own goals like what you want to have done by you know the end of the summer? Are you saying yes and no to different opportunities? Or are you? We've had this conversation on the show too. You say yes to everything until your dance card is too full, yeah. and then you start getting more selective. Like, where are you in that zone in terms of creating and vetting and um, uh, evaluating opportunities for how you spend your time. Yeah, and that's something you know. I, I always strive to get better, which is saying no. I, my, you know, I was born uh, what some people call empath empathetic. Um, you know, people pleaser in a way. But you know, just to do partnership alone, you can have a 
a team of full-time evangelists just doing partnership relationships, which is probably about just 10% of my time right now. So you could very easily, you know, over 5,000 employees, um, you, you get pegged out. So uh, you know, you want to say yes to think to tasks that are repeatable, that are you know complementary or unique compared to what other people are doing. And I, I'm just thinking, you know, personally, I want the company to go IPO. Um, I want to you know personally benefit, but I want to be part of that experience as well. You know, going. Uh, to you know, through that big process and create him some industry. So I want us to succeed. So my brain is always thinking, what will have the biggest impact um, that I could do? Like what, uh, you know, we have small partners that may make sense to work with. Um, but, you know, if I get Amazon to, to speak about us uh, in, in the social media, then maybe that's something that's worthwhile. If I'm about to do a webinar and I think, It'll be 500 people showing up or 5,000. That kind of helps. Or if I'm creating like this, like just today, I got a proposal for like a new, uh, I, you know, TED Talk slash inspirational webinar. Um, and, and I, you know, just have to make that decision. How much time will it take for me to, to develop it? But if it is developed, is it repeatable? Is it something I can give to, you know, other like many evangelists, non-full-time evangelists, that they can spread the word. And in this case, I think the answer is yes, but, you know, I anticipate, you know, like 20 hours of work to get it really well done and, and create the deck and, uh, you know, create perhaps a demo with that. But yeah, I constantly, um, you know, ha have to say, uh, you know, no, otherwise it's, uh, you know, if we have more than five, we have like, I think 9,000 customers if I do one a day, you know, that's 30 years. Can't, can't quite scale up that way. Yeah, really good. I, um, gosh, you, you've mentioned uh, several key words. You're obviously teaching these materials. Uh, you also mentioned that part of the evangelism role is to bring this message to non-technical folks. So I'm asking as one of those non-technical folks for the audience, because these are so, and for me, um, because these are such big and consequential shifts in the way things are being done. The implications are vast. I would love for you to spend a few minutes um, separating what's real from what's hype or, you know, the, just kind of the, because there's, I mean, as someone who spends time on social media, primarily for communicating the things I care about around human connection and across the digital divide, through, but not limited to video messaging. Um, you know, you just, you can't scroll past four posts without seeing some other new expert on how they're going to, you know, 10 X your business by tomorrow using, um, chat GPT or something kind of just dumb down generative AI. Where is it? what is actually happening, the basics of large language models and the relationship there, just kind of like break it down as you would break it down for someone who is not anywhere near uh, the technical space. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. 
If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah, since you know the last 10 years, there's been you know much bigger adoption in the enterprise and companies of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And to me, that is taking information that you have and making a prediction, something that happened in the past to predict the future, or um, you know, what will our sales be based on human behavior, for example, in addition to just numbers. So that, that's where one thing of AI is this forward-looking prediction. Another is classification. So uh, is this player going to be drafted to the majors, yes or no? Uh, will this um, particular uh, medicine be effective to, to cure in this specific person uh, a disease? Uh, you know, what type of uh, persona is this when you're marketing? Uh, that That's classification. And then the the newer, and that's been getting adopted more and more. You know, there's a problem where there wasn't enough data or it's hard to, to do, and you needed programming skills to, to do that. But now that that's getting a, a big hold. Um, and then partly as a genesis of having all of this mass amount of data, is this newish concept of large language models. Um, people are familiar with chatbots where you could just ask an open-ended question, you know, when's the next flight to uh, Colorado Springs? Uh, and, and then it could give you the answer. So conversational. But now things have advanced so much that uh, there's uh, people might have heard of the Turing test. It's where you have a language that's artificially driven, but it's so good that you can't tell if it's human. Um, this is where there's a lot of excitement for the industry since there are incredible use cases. Uh, so at just, I'll bring up one of an example of LLM. Uh, at the uh, HIMSS conference, we had a demo where somebody, I'll use again the Trillion Record, different company than before, but they, uh, Ypro, um uploaded a trillion price points of medical equipment and created an industry-specific large language model. So you could ask it, you know, my mother-in-law is getting knee replacement. She has Blue Cross Blue Shield. She's 54 years old and lives in 60614. You know, what are the, you know, some doctors you recommend or what what's the procedure with the best outcome? And, um, you know, give a good answer. And then it would also have humility. Sorry to hear about the upcoming surgery, you know, uh, you know, here's the top 10 things. And then, you know, always to be safe, say, you know, please consult your doctor before doing anything, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, and then you could try to trick it. You know, my dog is having knee replacement. And they're like, sorry to hear about your dog, but we're trained on humans, not animals. Consult the veterinarian. Um, but that is an incredible use case. It's not just, you know, the old school, where do I buy a flight? Um, it is like you could ask uh, anything in general. So that's what the goal uh, of the language model is. Uh, the uh, you know, chat GPT is like the most popular one at the moment, uh, but it has a lot of challenges. Number one is 
it, if you you if you feed in new documents like healthcare information, um, that that gets put into the model and gets distributed to the public for the future. So Samsung was a great example where people uploaded proprietary information and now that got out. So that's one challenge with that, just an open uh, large language. You open yourself uh, proprietary. The other is sometimes your specific company, if it's financial, you know, price per earning means something. If it's um, baseball, a can of, uh, this fielder caught a can of corn. You know, there, there are words, readmission in uh, healthcare that are specific to your industry. And if you just use a general large language model, you're, everything's blended together. So there is, uh, this is the current trend and where Databricks has been wildly popular for now is something that companies can make their own large language model based on their data and they can govern what data can be shared with the world and what data doesn't. But it's very applicable since it's to the language of their industry. And so companies are, you know, most companies are just trying to figure out what is it, what are use cases, is it real, can I start applying it? But if you're a business, those are the things you're looking at specifically. How can I do it safely and manage what's proprietary and what could be open? And how can I do it scalable? If I have trillions of records, how can you get an answer? Like people want an answer within a few seconds at most. Um, If a query takes uh, four months, uh, it's, it's not going to cut it. Yeah, you could. You might as well have just waited on hold for four months on the phone. Yeah, yeah. So large language, it's it's really cool. It's um, uh, you know, it's not yet uh, you know, sentient. It's basically looking at, uh, think of it as a research. Uh, you know, if you're a lawyer, like what cases uh, of injury you know deal with, you know, this particular type of car crash, and it'll do the research uh, for you and try to explain it in plain English. So that's the majority of large language models. A whole nother part of it um, is writing computer code. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, you know, It's not the general population, but you could say, write a Python program that does this, that, and the other. Um, and you might've heard of prompting. That's the other thing uh, of how you interface with it, where you could give, an an- uh, give a question, it gives an answer, then you can say, yeah, expand on that. Um, you know, give me the top five bullets. So that, that's where we are today. Um, th- there's other general AI beyond language, things that make images and things that make videos. And that's where there could be a big challenge in the world. Number one, it could be fun. You know, you could say, hey, I like Rush. I like Led Zeppelin. I like the Beatles make me some songs, you know, I've heard all of them a thousand times, make me some new songs that kind of sound like that. And already you have artists that AI is making songs and lyrics and it's getting on the charts. It's pretty darn good right now. And then yours, um, you know, who knows what will be, but that does tie back in to large language models. So for example, uh, you should be able to take all of your podcasts on YouTube or take every episode of Seinfeld ever made and just say, summarize Seinfeld every episode in five bullet points. 
and it looks through all the videos, it looks through transcripts, um, and comes back with insights or, you know, what percent of time, you know, I know people have manually looked at Oscar films and say, what percent of time is uh, male versus female talking, but that takes humans to do. But now this generative AI can look through thousands, millions of hours of video and, uh, and, and come out with insights. So the applications are getting quicker and quicker and will becoming more, more practical every single month and certainly every year. Super interesting. I have to imagine that you, thank you for all of that, by the way. That was a really good walk. It was nicely paced and it was in layperson's terms. I appreciate that. Um, the um, I imagine that you probably spend a lot of time in this use case zone, um, learning them, teaching them, mashing them up in your own head. You know, just I imagine that as you're, it's this kind of like live interaction that we were talking about uh, much earlier that I described as raw material. I would imagine with technology like this that's super promising, you're seeing early signs. I would assume that a significant part of um, of your work is capturing these and figure out which ones are really useful, which ones have real customer value or even real business value. Um, and kind of teaching those as needed as you go, probably. Yeah, yeah, great point. And it reminds me of you know, your point earlier of how do I spend my time uh, saying yes or no? Uh, th this is something I always encourage is you do an art of the possible. Sometimes you come out with 20 different potential use cases, uh, but then you want to help the customer decide uh, you know, what, you, what what order should you approach these? So everything from what's the biggest impact to your business? Uh, do you have the data right now? Do you have an internal champion? And like, how hard will it be to build? And then some of them bubble up to the top that have a high impact. You already have the data um, and it won't be too much of an effort to build. And, you know, some of them are aspirational, you know, where they uh, go towards the bottom. But you do, uh, you know, exercises like that, things pop up, ideas that didn't exist before. It's kind of exploration when you learn their business and their data. Um, and then some of it is them asking you as the evangelist, what have you seen other companies do? What are some of the use cases? That's probably one of the key areas of an evangelist or a field CTO or, you know, someone like that is, you know, you've, you know, you talk to people and at conferences, you know, what, what can we do that we don't know about that we're missing out on? So yeah, you help set these uh, roadmaps for use cases in the next 12 to 18 months. And generally they're, they're, they're really happy with the results. And it all starts with the first production use case uh, that hopefully they get value and then they have to figure out how to make their second, third, fourth, and look for what you call drift as the world and data changes, do you have to go back to the already existing models and tweak it or update it every every so often? So good for people listening who couldn't see how excited I was just getting. Everything you just walked through reminds me of a, a pretty, it's like maybe a 5,000 word piece that I recently published as we're recording this. That's that's the video messaging version of this, like almost any email, text message, Slack message, social DM, anywhere where you're relying on typed out text to connect and communicate with other people, 
is an opportunity to add a video. And there's some characteristics about when you would send a video versus when text would be sufficient. Um, and I won't bore you with all those details, but the problem is when you think about any of the life cycles that you're supporting as an operator in a business, whether it's prospect to customer, recruit to employee, potential partner to current strategic or referral partner, like any of these multiple journeys where you're communicating with people, it can be overwhelming. There are so many different places and you're not going to add video everywhere. And so I love this idea of where is the biggest, because this is how I teach it. Where is the biggest business value? Let's just narrow it down to five or six. And then we'll just talk about those. Where's the best business value? And let's start with one. And until you get your whole team doing it consistently and you're consistently getting the lift that you're expecting to see, we're going to stay in here and optimize it. But then once that's pretty good, we'll add another one. We'll add another one. We'll add another. It's so funny. People get so excited about new technologies. Not that video messaging is new at this point, but um, and they get wild and see all these use cases. Like I can't tell you how many people I've personally hand sold accounts to at a trade show or a conference. And then you follow back up with them a couple of months later because they, they paired it off. As soon as you like turn it on for them, the concept, now they're giving you like, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And you follow up with them later. Like they didn't do any of them because there were too many and it didn't get hemmed in in this way. Um, community. Yes. You uh, you were a very important uh, piece of a very large uh, customer or user group. Um, talk about the relationship, just in hindsight, reflecting on that experience, probably what you learned about interacting, engaging, even the peer-to-peer -peer stuff um, within that group. Talk about the, to, your, to, to, to the degree it comes to mind for you, the relationship between community and the work uh, of evangelism. Yeah, uh, super critical, um, and and community kind of ties back uh, to being like the non-sales approach. If um, you know there are roles for account executives and sales and leadership, but um, you know we'll just take Oracle. Uh, you know if Oracle comes out with a benchmark, you know, uh, or one of their competitors, SAP. You, you know, two companies come out with benchmarks. You know. Uh, People like largely just say, you know what, it's kind of biased that the vendor's coming. So uh, it's coming from the vendor. So this is where community is super helpful, where you're both peer to peer and then you're peer to kind of like these community leaders who are kind of there to listen, to help guide like product development. You know, even companies like Oracle couldn't develop every feature. So, uh, you know, they could do their own surveys which could be biased responses to the people responding, or they can like work with the communities through the user groups to see like really at the core, um, if they were to spend time to make certain features or products, or even acquire certain companies that the community would embrace it. So otherwise it's kind of just trial and error making, uh, you know, expensive uh, uh, features and time consuming if they're not going to be used. Um, and then, you know, how can they better serve their, their customers above and beyond the, a transactional approach? You give me money, I do a service, repeat forever. Um, and then like the user community sometimes just like to interact amongst themselves without the vendor um, present um, or, or like fully involved. And, you know, something to be said about that, like where do things literally not work? Um, and 
are there workarounds? Does the, you know, how can we collectively try to, you know, affect a change? So yeah, and, and with Databricks, we have um, Denny Lee and, and others that have had a strong developer relation really in the open source community, but we have um, like our, our data and AI summit coming up in late June in San Francisco at the Moscone Center. Encourage everyone to go virtual or in person, but that is largely driven by the user community as well. Kind of like in the Oracle days, like we pay for the room and, and uh, you know, to make it all happen. But, you know, it's encouraged that the majority of presentations are from customers or partners talking about how they actually did something, where they succeeded, where they failed, where, if they were to do it again, what would it be better? Um, so, so that that's at the, the global level. And then with the Oracle user group, you know, we also had local chapters, uh, city, uh, state, country, um, where people would just, you know, get, you know, affinity. And the company, you know, it's oftentimes, you know, you pay for pizza or, you know, to help facilitate, make it happen, but you want it to be like really roll up the sleeves and get something tangible that the audience can go home and try out. Could be a workshop. It could be, um, you know, just a networking event where people are eating pizza or going to a bar and just, you know, freestyling. Yeah, really good. I want to, I want to hear from you at the risk of asking the obvious. I would love to hear from you. You mentioned like the vendor is coming, right? Like we all know what that means. We all, you know, we've mentioned non-sales, you mentioned community, especially peer to peer and real stories, real people, good, bad, and ugly, not just this kind of filtered, controlled, you know, communication and kind of over, uh, over promising that, that sometimes we can get into on the vendor side. Why is it so important to have this kind of, it is a sales role functionally, right? Like you're, you're getting people excited about the idea and opening up conversation. I, I assume that like me, very often when you get off a webinar, you get off a stage, many of the questions turn out to be buying questions after all, sure. right? Like I remember you were talking about this, like even if you don't mention the company name or brand name or any of the product lines in the presentation, they still want to ask about those afterward. What do you think is so important? I'm just kind of two layered about a human being. That's layer one, a human being being in this kind of non-sales role. I mean, I feel like I've heard implied in the way you've been talking, you know, there's a different amount of trust. There's a different degree of like perceived honesty, um, made perhaps through transparency. Like, what do you think is key about a human being appointed to an evangelist role that is again, supporting sales and marketing, but isn't that. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, really my goal is yeah to help grow the company in any way I can, you know, so helping, I would say get new customers. Um, but a lot of that is just educating the world. They've never heard of Databricks or, you know, my prior companies when I was with them. So a lot of it is simple. It's just what, what is it that you do? Or like, in our case, what is a lake house market? Um, that you know that you know opens up the conversation, and then uh, you know potentially even in the same conversation, I could talk about Databricks. Um, you know what it is that we do uniquely. Our origin story is really fascinating. 
Uh, you know, we are a leader in the space and people want to hear about that. So sometimes, you know, I do go there. I um, talk about sometimes my backstory and how, you know, I would have loved to have had, you know, Databricks, uh, here's the pains it would have solved. Um, but, you know, in the, you know, I, I think to answer your question is the people that are buying and are going to implement this, they're human. They want, um, you know, either on a personal level to make their job easier um, or from their own company to save their company money, to make their company like more agile and technology, to do something faster or to do something that benefits them or their customers better than if they didn't have this technology. So that's where like I do start blending into the sales, but I had to do a couple months onboarding for me to be able to passionately believe in you know certain areas, um, artificial intelligence, uh, this thing called data pipeline, uh, ELT. Those are things that nobody could do like a lake house or or Databricks. So like I'm not selling, I'm not putting a price point on, but I I do feel I have to educate people on like what is something. Why should they do it? Um, why should they start looking at it now as opposed to, you know, let's kick the tires and, and come back in the year? Yeah, so much good stuff there. I mean, this this idea that you needed to develop your own passion and belief and probably understanding around some of these nuances, but even the questions that you're asking, why should they? Why should they? And I think, I think and I'm not indicting sales in any way at all, but I think a lot of people have this kind of, uh oh, the vendor is coming impression. And certainly a bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. There are many wonderful salespeople. And certainly those that people would say, I'm so glad I worked with that person. I can't wait to refer them and work with them again, is that it really is in this zone of helping rather than selling. And it's all based in why would, why should, why could someone take the next step in this learning journey and ultimately in this commercial behavior with us to solve this problem. It's, it's very oriented toward them. And I think where sales goes bad and it gets a bad reputation is when it be, starts bleeding through that I actually have a very specific financial motivation in you doing this thing, whether it's good for you or not. Um, and so I think, I think that zone is always so careful to walk. And I think the key is in what you shared there, which is that it's in this um, passionate belief that this can be very helpful and that you're offering it in this, I don't have a stake. You don't have to move forward. I really think you should because these things that you shared with me and these ideas I shared with you, I heard all the right things from you. I think this could be a huge value, but it's not my job to kind of move that forward and start talking about price points and things. Um, anything about evangelism that you would recommend to other leaders or executives, uh, no matter the size of the company? I mean, obviously, as, as we've established, Databricks was a large company before they made this investment in you doing this work and growing the company in all of the unique ways that you personally, Ari, are uniquely capable of doing. But, you know, as, as other people ask you about your evangelism roles and evangelism work, um, let's just pretend that they're a founder or an executive or a leader of some kind, and they're curious about the work of evangelism, kind of how would you steer their line of thought, whether it's through questioning or whether it's through some observations or tips? Uh, yeah. And then, and before we go there, I, I just was uh, noodling in my head about, you know, the sales um, and want to you know, emphasize, you know, uh, one thing I love about Databricks, uh, you know, our sales reps 
are awesome since we're in a, uh, we have a model where it's pure it's uh, usage based so if you awesome. there's uh, no reason you, to push yeah. yeah exactly like you're pushing you're pushing you ideas for usage and so if they end up not using something they're not going to pay if they end up using it a lot they're going to pay uh you know uh uh relationally but you know companies that were at prior you know you know there's efforts you know get a million dollar sale that you're committed to um whether you um you know even the product comes out or not or spend a million dollars i've had a government spend three million dollars for documentation that i don't think they even opened um but yeah with databricks it's uh it's a refreshing um you know, I, I just encourage them, try this use case. Hey, if it works, then yeah, we will proportionally get more money if they have 10 use cases or 10 times the number of users or queries. Um, but if it if it doesn't, then they're, 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 they're not kind of losing out maybe just a little bit of their time. But um, yeah, so, so advice, uh, you know, for, for people listening in, if they don't have an evangelist role, you know, you, you just, it, it just, you have to ask yourself, do you want to grow? Do you want, um, you're, are you okay with your brand as it is? Um, uh, uh, do enough people in the market know what you do? Uh, is it easily explainable? If you go to a trade show and like listen in to the pitch, are people's eyes glazing over? Or are they getting it and um, purchasing it? Uh, like what's the churn rate at your company or uh, customers buying it and then leaving? Um, after the uh, term expires, or are they adding on? So if you're kind of failing or, or or subpar in any of those, that's where an evangelist can help out. It could help um, the stickiness of customers. It could help net new customers. Um, you know, also the power of social media uh, is not to be underestimated in public relations. So uh, you know, we were just in Wired magazine. We were on Bloomberg TV. Net new audience. I don't know what their outreach base is, but you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if not more, have seen it. Um, and it didn't cost us anything. We didn't pay money uh, to, to be out there. Um, and that role, you know, is public relations, but evangelists could play a role in there as well. I'm encouraging people to talk and write about us. I'm tagging them in social media, and yeah, once in a while. I get a McLaren to retweet and it goes to 10 million of their followers. So good. So many um, simple and direct questions to for people to think about. And then also some really good examples there. My penultimate question for you, Ari, is what is something that you find yourself evangelizing in your own personal life? I, um, well, I always evangelize. Well, I tend to evangelize sports analytics since everyone I walk down the street and 20 people will ask me about, uh, you know, their favorite sports team. And that's in the news cycle everywhere. Uh, I spent last year traveling the world with McLaren and their race strategy team and created led the Cubs analytics. So that's kind of like people know me for that. But, uh, you know, short of that, I love uh, talking the discussion of artificial intelligence, both practical and you know, enterprise and, um, you know, the, the general it's, uh, out there, it's kind of a hundred people have a hundred different opinions and thoughts. So I, I want to be with Databricks to 
help steer the industry of what is real, what's applicable. If you're a user, you know, chat GPT and hundred others are good, but if you're a company and you want to implement it on your data, then, you know, uh, is it possible? Yes. Is it doable today? Yes. Is it easy? You know, if you have somebody that can code like Python, then yeah, we've served up um, language models like in, in hours, which, you know, would, would have taken years uh, in the past. So if you have the right skill set in-house, it could be super easy. But then, you know, how do you get started? You know, I wanted, I want a notebook, which is like a example code. You know, you can go to Databricks and download. You could go to that website I mentioned uh, called Hugging Face, which has other LLMs. And you could get started right now. And if you're not technical and someone on your tech team is, you know, have them do this as, as you know, a side project and then see if it wants to become a front and center project. Love it. Really well done. Ultimate question. If people have enjoyed this conversation, they want to learn more about you, the work that you're doing, the work that you've done, or what's going on at Databricks, where would you send people? Well, uh, anyone who wants to connect or follow uh, me on social media, I always uh, try to be inspirational and educational. Um, yeah, Ari Kaplan on LinkedIn. Look for me. There, there's a lawyer. That's not me, but you'll see Databricks. Uh, that is me. And then, you know, for Databricks, you know, uh, you know, if uh, uh, if you have time uh, late June, around June 25 to 27, you know, seriously attend in person or uh, online our uh, Data and AI Summit. Tons of content, hundreds and hundreds of presentations, large LLM focus, but also anything data, AI, machine learning, uh, operationalizing uh uh, M ML, uh, use cases from like some really, really cool customers. I encourage that or just go to databricks.com and um, if that, that can steer you. Go to YouTube, uh, type in Databricks, type in Lakehouse and, you know, just start watching some introductory videos as well. Awesome. He is Ari Kaplan, spelled as it sounds, A-R-I-K-A-P-L-A-N, Databricks, spelled exactly how it sounds, data and bricks. And I am Ethan Butte. Last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. -E. You can hit both of us up on LinkedIn. Ari, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.